Welcome to Dream Pictures, the podcast that challenges your perceptions of reality. first episode of Dream Pictures. Allow me to introduce your host, Bill Webb. What? The music changed. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I am your host, Bill Webb. You may have expectations of what a podcast should sound like or what my podcast should sound like. Well, throw them all out the window because expectations are another way of saying hypnosis and hypnosis is another way of saying we are convinced of illusions that are not reality. There's a pink elephant in the room. No, there's not. Hell, all I have to do is snap my fingers. The hypnosis is broken. I'm going to introduce this podcast series today with an excerpt from the new novel, One Lone Friend, the audiobook version, which includes music and soundtracks. This is going to be interlude two. You see, the book is written like a symphony in three movements, first, second, and third movement. It begins with a prelude to the first movement, and it ends with a postlude to the last movement. In between, movement one and two is an interlude, and in between movement two and three is another interlude. I'm going to play today the entire segment, Interlude 2. Interlude 2 features a man named William Maestro, who we first met in Interlude 1 as a prospector just out of college looking for uranium in the 1950s. Now we're going to meet him 20 years later as the head of a large mining corporation The two heroes of the novel are going to walk in in his office and introduce him to what he's on the verge of discovering. Love, peace, and harmony, the light of the world within him. And he's going to discover it in a very unusual ceremony that ends up happening right there in his office and takes him to another world, another dimension, but brings him back to this world in a new light of love, peace, and harmony that he can share. And this will change everything in the way he deals with people. Listen now to Interlude 2 from the novel One Lone Friend. Second Interlude, The Uranium King. So now you're telling me how to run my company? William Maestro paced back and forth in front of the glass wall that separated him from the sprawling metropolis below. No, no, Bill, it's these reports from the EPA. They're conclusive and about to go public. We've got to do something. Maestro took a deep, calming breath and perused the man shouting at him from across the desk. Dan Kroger, his loyal friend, prospecting partner, and now right-hand man at International Petroleum Corporation. He sat down hard in his cushy leather chair. 
I know you're not the enemy, Dan, but we've been keeping this under wraps for 20 years. Exposure now could put a halt to production. What with demands for uranium decreasing the way it is, this could put our Canadian and Australian competitors back on top, to say nothing of Africa. Well, there are always solutions. We can call an emergency board meeting. Forget it, Dan. Most of the board has remained voluntarily blind to the hazards in the mines. We've got to figure out a way through this before we present anything. Maestro remembered the first time EPA reports could not be ignored. That was in Colorado when high levels of radon gas were detected in a handful of private homes. They had successfully orchestrated a full cleanup of all affected communities and had satisfied the government and the public that all hazards were removed and there was no longer anyone at risk. But that was not on Navajo land, and the risk to the Navajos had never been addressed. The token cleanup and positive press releases calmed everyone down for a few years, but now he and Dan were the only ones who knew the whole story on the Navajo mines cover-up. To date, the Navajo Nation and the U.S. government remained officially ignorant of the detrimental effects of exposure in the mines and, with so many of the original mines already closed and the tailings and runoff that had begun to contaminate their lands, Maestro didn't even know to what extent the Indians were affected. But it seems the EPA now had an inkling. In the midst of this cacophony of thoughts, a tiny voice inside his head whispered, What about the people? Dan shook the papers in his hand. I think the biggest problem is their reference to the original treaty. All lands will be restored to their original condition. We both know the mines were closed but never sealed up and with only minimum cleanup and no land restoration. And now they have all these reports of contamination in the waters, the livestock, the very mortar they use in the walls and floors of their homes. Mortar made from the sandy runoff from the mines themselves. Maestro tried to take another deep breath, but his breathing had become shallow and his heart was racing. What about the people? The voice whispered again. This had always been about success. His thoughts turned to his prospecting days with Dan in the Chuskas over twenty years ago, how he had beamed with arrogant confidence that they would surely succeed on their great adventure. And succeed they did, greater than their expectations. Then there were their subsequent discoveries of petroleum deposits in Canada, Australia, and South America. They were in great demand by the big companies because of their skill at finding rich deposits of ore and petroleum. Eventually, he was able to fulfill his childhood dream of sitting in the big chair of his own company. And it had all worked, except that he had no idea the discovery of radium, plutonium, and the A-bomb would also create much more than wealth and success. He felt like he was trapped on that cliff again, but this time, no one to bail him out. What about the people? Could he admit to himself that their ventures were destroying families and endangering an entire people? In his heart, he had never intended to ignore the rights and safety of anyone. He had gotten caught in the whirlwind of success. Now guilt had boiled to the surface. He had obligations to his board, investors, partners, an entire network of companies that depended on those uranium mine profits. But what about the people? Look, Bill, we've got to weigh the pros and cons of the situation. What we can do to minimize the damage. How many resources and funds we can direct to satisfying the EPA demands. 
Cleanup of some sort is inevitable, but we'll have to minimize the costs and maximize the results. That's enough, enough, enough of this! Maestro stood up. I know the deal. It's the same old, same old. Here we go again. Another roller coaster ride into the depths so we can eventually come out on top. Pros and cons, pros and cons. How can we save our asses this time? He turned to the wall of window and looked hopelessly out at the city. The skyscrapers were like giant wailing walls filled with mourners. More fires to put out. Always fires. So many fires. What about the people? Kroger said nothing. Maestro waved his arm behind his back and said, Go, Dan, just go. I need time to think. He heard the door close and continued staring out the window. People. The world is made of people. People with homes and families. Had he forgotten that in his quest for success? No, 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 no. Wasn't he a decent sort of fellow? Had he not treated people fairly? Oh, but how many times did he turn a blind eye? Yes, there were deals, white lies, threats, stepping on toes. But now he was beginning to realize just what effect his dealings were having on the fate of the Navajo people. The intercom buzzed him out of his morass. Mr. Maestro, there are two men in the outside lobby to see you. Oh, shit, were they here already? They say they are from a government agency, the Battle Brigade? The Battle Brigade, he thought. What kind of... Ah, hell, send him in. Maestro sat at his desk and pretended to organize some papers as the two men walked in. Both were neatly dressed in modest blue serge suits with white shirts and striped neckties. The one on the left was tall and gaunt, yet his cheeks were rosy and his eyes gleamed. The shorter, stocky one was smiling from ear to ear, which Maestro didn't like so much. Why, William, William Maestro, it's me, John, the guy who saved you from that cliff, remember? Me and the old man in the dune buggy? Maestro looked closely at John's face, gasped and stiffened like he had just been hit with a taser. Aw, come on, Billy boy, he saved you once. Don't think he won't do it again, said Terry. You, you, You look so young, stammered Maestro. You know, Terry and I here were saying that same thing just the other day. Must be my healthy living, John pointed at Terry. This is Terry, Terry Silverman. Maestro exhaled loudly. What is? What is? What is? Terry interjected. He's already asking the right question, eh, Johnny? He sure is, John quickly interrupted in Terry's own vernacular. A good question is its own answer. What certainly is and what is, is what is, because what isn't can't exist with what is around, and what is certainly is all around us now, isn't it? posed Terry. Maestro buried his head in his hands. Oh, I must be dreaming, I must be dreaming. When did I fall asleep? He looked up again, and the two men were still there, looking at him inquiringly, as if they were waiting for him to do something. So, Mr. Maestro, John said lyrically, exactly why have you called this meeting? Meeting? I called? What are you talking about? Yes, indeedy, this meeting of your minds. Good mind, bad mind, out of your mind. Seems something must be on your mind. Something disturbing, perhaps? Something gnawing on your conscience, maybe? You got a mindful. Come on, Bill, spill, John seriously quipped. 
These two men had discombobulated Maestro so completely he was unable to shore himself up into business mode. He slapped his hands against his cheeks and pushed hard, trying to compress his thoughts into something intelligible. His heart raced. Face flushed, he felt drops of perspiration on his forehead. Pressing his lips tightly together, blowing his cheeks up like balloons, he blurted out, What about the people? and slumped back in his chair. The people, Terry began to narrate, or Dine, as they call themselves, refers to the Navajo Nation, an indigenous American people now living on a reservation that spans Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico, mainly south of the Four Corners. A race of people mostly peaceful by nature, who have no word for revenge as they view bad, evil, or sinful behavior as a sickness rather than free will moral choice. Their ways include many healing ceremonies meant to cure their enemies of their sickness rather than destroy them, although they have been known to attack enemies from time to time when backed into a corner with their families and lands threatened. You know, people includes you too, Bill. Don't leave yourself out, said John empathetically. Terry and John sat in their chairs across the desk from Maestro as he stared at them, eyes filling with tears. The dam burst and the pain and guilt he had suppressed for two decades spewed forth. With each heavy sob of emotional pain came a sense of relief, a lightening of the burden he had been shouldering for so long. He became oblivious of the two men, the room, his logical thoughts. Everything else was supplanted by this emotional pain relief he was experiencing. He could feel his heart changing, yet not changing, but being realized in its true form. A feeling of love welled up from inside, of peace, harmony, something no words could fully describe. Nothing had changed except in his own head. Not even my head, he thought. It was like it came from somewhere deeper inside him than anyone could physically go. Deeper than mind, deeper than body yet inside his own self, not from anywhere else. And something had changed. He felt light, lighter than air, as if he had always been able to float, but a great weight had been pressing down, holding him from taking off into the air. Now the heaviness was gone, the pressure gone, and he was floating, floating, and full of such a joy that they all began to laugh simultaneously. John stood up and grabbed Terry's hand. Terry reached out to a very different William Maestro who, without thinking, came around the desk and grabbed his hand. They followed John in a circle and began dancing. Around and around they danced, faster and faster, laughing and dancing. William was so excited and happy he hardly took notice when a large campfire appeared in the center of their circle, or when the drums began beating, or when the shrill chant of a thousand singers pierced the air, or when he saw the sparks of a campfire rising into the star-studded black canopy above. They were joined by many men and women, from buckskin dancers to African dancers. Each dancer was clothed differently in an indescribably colorful costume. These new dancers waved their hands like they were throwing things into the fire, 
so William pretended he was throwing things into the fire. With each toss, he felt even lighter. He pictured pieces of paper with words in his own handwriting being burned. Words like shame, guilt, exploitation, greed, power, lust, fear, hate, monster, evil, destruction, and death. Then he pictured other words like good, mind, body, health, happiness, healing, fix, desire, want, search, and improve, burning in the fire. The fire was taking away every part of his self, and his feelings were a mixture of burning grief and ecstatic joy. Out of the ashes, he was beginning to sense a new person growing from the depths of the glowing flames and ready to burst out. He could feel love, peace, and harmony growing out from the center of his heart. The chanting rose to a height that consumed all his senses. It was a language he had never heard before, but the words seemed to translate clearly in his brain. They continued on for what seemed like hours to William, who was so filled with joy he wanted it never to end. With that thought, he realized it would never end, because it never began. It always is. He simply had never seen it until now. What is, he thought as he danced. What is, what is, what is, what is? What is, is all there is. And all there is is beautiful. This is how William joined the ranks of those who realize peace, harmony, and love as the essence of all things. He could now see, feel, live, and breathe infinite joy. From that day forth, he no longer based his decision-making on weighing the pros and cons, debits and credits, good and bad. He no longer obsessed about himself and his own fate. He no longer saw people as instruments to his own ends. He no longer saw the world filled with problems that had to be fixed. Instead, he continued through the rest of his life being a joy and a blessing to everyone around him, and everything he did was of benefit to all parties, not just to himself and his interests. He took joy in watching those who would wake up and see. He was delighted to give forth everything he had in every given moment because he knew he was drawing from an infinite source of supply and love, an infinite source that lived within his own being. As the sun peaked between the tops of the Chuska Mountains to the east, sending beams of light across the high desert, John, Terry, and William unclasped their hands 
and William sat back in his cushy chair behind his desk, smiling to a quiet, empty room. And this is how John and Terry began to continue the battle they had begun as little boys, now armed with the three most powerful weapons in the world, love, peace, and harmony. And so the two friends go on to many more adventures. They transcend the limits of time and space, but they continue to let love, peace, and harmony overflow through them, from out of them, and they meet people whose lives are ready to change. Just like their own lives were changed from being a drug addict and an alcoholic, very selfish, self-centered lives, so the people they meet, their lives are changed too. William Maestro is just one character, a businessman. There are other characters that they meet that are changed in many other ways. But the main thing is that we can find this light of love and peace. But first, first, we have to break through the illusions of reality. The illusions that we've grown up with, that we accept, they really are illusions. They are dream pictures created by perhaps a mass hypnosis of some sort, not caused by an entity or a person, because it has no cause. The only cause is love, peace, and harmony. And this is what we shall get into more. I'll play more excerpts from the novel and future podcasts and other new songs that are coming up. Meantime, enjoy a little bit of music as we roll out to the end of the first podcast of Dream Pictures with your host, Bill Webb. And now... Stillness of the Mountainside from the album One Lone Friend.
Besides this podcast, you'll hear that track, Stillness of the Mountainside, in the album One Lone Friend, but also as part of the soundtrack in the novel One Lone Friend, the audiobook, of course. And one final song that I would like to share with you is called The Choice. The Choice, also from One Lone Friend, is a song that really puts you on the edge of who you are and how you have the power, the will, to make the choice to break free of the illusions of this material world. Let's listen now to The Choice. And let that be our final song of this week's podcast. I hope to see you again in the following weeks. Every week, 30-minute podcast, we call it Dream Pictures. And you never know what to expect because our goal is to challenge the illusion, the dream pictures that we think are reality, to find a new reality that we call Lopeja. I am the human, the one that you seek. I am the satisfier, the one who made you weak. Too weak to tell the difference between yourself and my soul. Because of all you longed for and covered up so well. Your convictions, the place where you must stand, because yourself was never good enough. Self was never good enough, good enough for anyone to see. I am the no man, the one you crave to see. I am the compensation for pain and misery For I took you out and dined you every time that you asked And swore you'd never hurt again That this would always last And because you knew not who you were I fooled you in the end When you landed on your face Flat on your face Again and again I am the one man The one that you sought I am the preconceiver The one with whom you fought Because you wanted me and hated me For what you weren't inside Your life was pain concealed Covered up with pride So you tore yourself to nothingness Inside your paper bag Till the only thing left The only thing The only thing left is to decide Make a decision The choice is left to you 
am the enemy Took you to the pits I am the destroyer Who smashed your life to bits Cause you never would have seen That I am nothing in this scene Except the advocate of alternatives That make you want to scream So now it's up to you Now it's time and misery or choose the other side cause now you know the difference there's no reason left to hide the only thing left the only thing left the only thing left is to decide make a decision Choices left to you. Make a decision. The choices left to you. So make a decision. The choices left to you. Yes, now make a decision. The choices left to you. The choice is left.